all of the blood that has been shed to preserve this opportunity of worship for us collectively could not save us from this condition of sin that we're in by nature. It required perfect and perfection, blood that's beyond our comprehension. It was the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that has saved us. I'm thankful to have the language formed in my mind and be able to be re re uh, repeat it that when the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for the remission of sins, it was effectual. Atonement was made for his people and nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ bled and died for our sins. Not only to wash them away, but to make us fit subjects for heaven's pure world and to appear there before him in righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. And to have that ultimate experience in heaven. Last week we spent time in John chapter 4. I want to get to this point in verse 21. Pick up a little bit more of it a little later in the chapter. And maybe conclude our thoughts over in Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. But sometimes the Lord has a way of changing the agenda. We may have a thought process in mind, but sometimes the Lord has another one. And whenever we follow His, that's the place we want to be, for sure. But shortly after the Lord Jesus Christ revealing this Samaritan woman's marital history to her, they began to speak about worship verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Keep in mind that she was a Samaritan, and the Lord Jesus Christ being a Jew, the two Sex throughout many years were isolated based on their differences, based on their doctrine and what they taught. To the disciples, it was a surprising sight to see the Lord Jesus Christ taking up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Because even the woman herself said the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. 
You see, one of the differences between the two groups and their teaching was that the Samaritans believed that worship took place in a place, exclusively in a place. And it was in that mountain. And we understand down in south is where the temple resided. And that was the place where the priests and the high priests and the worship of God under the law took place. And that was in Jerusalem. Verse 22, he says, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. Notice that. The hour cometh, and now is. We have another familiar text found in a little later in John's writing, when he says, Verily, Verily I say unto thee, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Amen. Well, here is another occurrence where the Lord Jesus is saying, now is, but the hour cometh, and now is, When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Amen. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Now, I've been to some spiritual meetings before. And there may have been little pieces of truth that were presented. I've been to meetings where they jumped over pews. I mean, there were spirit-filled people in the room. People not being able to wait to get up front for the altar call. There was spirit in that place. And I'm not one to question the Holy Spirit of God even though in 1 John it says to try the spirits whether they're of the Lord I'll tell you I went to see the New York City Rockettes in Branson, Missouri about 25 years ago and I felt to be caught up in a spirit it was a small s spirit I even had tears welling up in my eyes because of the beauty that I was beholding there on the stage. It was just a beautiful sight to see everything so in concert, so orchestrated, so organized. It was just really overwhelming to me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, see, I know that that spirit was a small s spirit. But I can't be a judge of those that experience the Spirit whenever they engage in their form of worship. In fact, that's why so many of God's people are convinced 
that their religion is okay, at least, if not the right place for them is because they experience the Spirit. Do you know the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ had the Spirit without measure? What would it be like to have a greater portion of the Spirit of God in our life? The Lord Jesus Christ experienced it without measure. Without measure would be infinite. It's an infinite supply of the Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ possessed. And if you recall from earlier in this chapter, the Lord had just spoke about something inside of his people springing up. Let's just, let's read that again. Because it's all part of the context and it's all relevant to the conversation that's still happening between the Lord Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jacob's well, in fact. Where there was literal water. And that literal water would have quenched the thirst, but it wouldn't have been long before she thirsted again. And the Lord Jesus said that of a truth to her. But there was water that he could give Living water, this actually could give at this point, would be the correct language, but in our case, shall give. He gave that water. And it's in them, notice what he says, the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Did you know the water... And the Spirit and the Scriptures, a lot of times, are interchangeable. It's an interchangeable term many times in the Scriptures that this water springing up into everlasting life is the equivalent of the Spirit of God and an endless supply that every child of God has dwelling inside of them. Over in the book of Revelation, if you want to turn over there for some, some uh, very vivid, colorful, symbolic reading concerning the water flowing in a river between trees in the throne room of God. Oh, I mean these vivid images that it produces in our minds. Well, here, the Lord Jesus speaks of the spirit that we have which springs up into everlasting life. Sometimes our thoughts may be a little bit too embellishing, I admit that. But I, I certainly enjoy meditating upon the scriptures and considering the depth of what the Lord has done for us. And look at it for just a second. I have become convinced based on scripture and experience that whenever I have heavenly experiences in this life, that this is a description of what's occurring. It is living water that is springing up in me into everlasting life 
And where is everlasting life? Well, it resides in us. It is activated, okay, effectually as a work of grace performed by the Lord Jesus, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and according to the will of the Father, right? Whenever we're quickened, a well of water instantaneously springs up inside of us into everlasting life. And along life's way, we're able to draw upon that water. I don't know what it looks like. Whatever it is that separates time from eternity, I have no idea what it looks like. There are so much in time that I cannot explain, let alone eternal or everlasting things, right? But when we consider that this living water springing up into everlasting life certainly is piercing through that which divides time and eternity. And whenever you're blessed with the Spirit of God, regardless of your whereabouts and your location, most commonly I believe it occurs in the worship service when we're engaged in body, soul, and spirit, when we present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, I believe it is then, brethren, whenever the Lord would sovereignly dispense the Spirit of God upon us so that it reflects into this everlasting, this everlasting experience that we have, that is a direct connection to heaven itself. We've always believed that Canaan and that land of Canaan that was promised to the Jews, that place of rest, that place that they were going and occupy some 430 years after the promise was made to Abraham, right? They were going and occupied that land. And guess whose well was there? Already dug. It was Jacob's well. Where that Samaritan woman was sitting. Look at the historical relevance of this. Look at all the history that goes that goes right along with this. And consider the experience that the Samaritan woman was having as she encountered the Messiah, the Christ. Don't you know she was experiencing something a little more than she had ever experienced in her entire life? Nothing like that had ever occurred in the life of this Samaritan woman. Like the encounter she had with the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who told her everything about herself. Amen. <laughs> so she had to be having this spiritual experience 
In fact, her actions kind of prove that, don't they? Her mind immediately goes to worship. What would carry her mind to worship? Up until this point, they, all they had spoken about was the well, the natural water, something to draw with. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks about that living water that he shall give. Right? And, then, and then he reveals to her her history, right? An act that only God can do. Jesus Christ, verily God, verily man. And here, the Samaritan woman, her mind immediately turns to worship. And they begin to speak about the place of worship. And the Lord Jesus sets the record straight. And he ends up with this truth that we hold so precious and dear today. And that is, the Father seeketh such to worship him. I'm going to make a little confession to you. I have an infatuation with minerals. And some of these minerals are in the form of crystals. I think they're beautiful. I like to collect them. In fact, I have a, I have a collection of different color crystals. They're on, my, on, on a counter as I entered into our bedroom and I have to hide them from my grandson because he likes crystals too. <laughs> but I was over at my cousin's house recently and she recently moved into the area. My brother and I were over there helping her move furniture and she gave me a gift. She gave me a rose quartz and it was beautiful and I took it home and I began to share with Lisa all of the things that a rose quartz is known to do to benefit somebody in nature and according to some of the some of the ancients they believe that the rose quartz strengthens the heart that it, that it strengthens the heart. Other people believe that the, role, the rose quartz <clears throat> is something that nurtures falling in love because it's rose-colored and that's, you know, and just in the, in, in, in the, as I look at these things and I, some of these things come around and it's like, you know, that's pretty interesting. But whenever we, we pick up little things like that and little hobbies like that, and all of us may have one or two hobbies, whether it's collecting minerals, right? Or whether it's collecting something else. We have to be careful that they don't become our religion Amen. and our God. Amen. Because I'll tell you, that rose, that rose quartz is not going to help anybody fall in love. <laughs> that rose quartz is not going to do anything to protect my heart. No. That rose quartz is something that is beautiful to look at 
and to have on display in my little rock collection. And there is a pleasant thought that I have when I look at it. Now I look at it and I see the source, the one who gave it to me in the moment that she gave that to me. And it produces in me this level of joy, right? But that rose quartz cannot save me. That rose quartz cannot benefit me beyond the fact that I enjoy looking at it. And the Lord Jesus Christ here clarifies that for us, doesn't he? Because if if that rose quartz or any other device, whether it be a necklace, I'll make another confession to you. Back whenever Coy was cutting his teeth, Jill bought him an amethyst necklace with Baltic Sea amethyst stones, which produces an acid which is a painkiller and anti-inflammatory. Now, there's something, right, that can benefit, that can can benefit the body. Medicine comes from the earth, right? So, I get online, and I get one. I mean, I had just survived throat cancer. I thought, it can't hurt, right? Anti-inflammatory, anti, you know, it kind of helps deaden the pain just a little bit. I go to my dermatologist. He asks me what it is. I tell him all about it. He says, okay, that makes you feel good. Go ahead. (laughs) You hang on to that. But... I wore that thing for such a long time. Finally, Lisa says, don't you think you got all the benefit out of that that you could get? You could take that off now. People think you're a little weird wearing that thing. But that Baltic Sea amethyst could not save me. And it is not permitted in the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not admissible in the worship service. We are not required to bring stones, wood carvings, right? Necklaces, beads, or any other object with us in order to worship. Don't you love the simplicity of the way God set it up? Think about it. In the first century... The people of God, just like us. Those people that worship in spirit and in truth, just like we are worshiping in spirit and in truth today. The only difference was they were were fleeing and scattered in an event or in an effort to keep from dying for their beliefs. Read Romans chapter 11. Our brethren were sawn asunder. I mean, it hadn't always been like this, that we could get together and worship without fear of, we've heard it said in our youth, as the brethren would be on their knees praying to God publicly without fear of molestation. And what are they talking about? Molestation from the evil forces that have been working against the New Testament church throughout all ages. We are so blessed to be able to worship and enter into this service 
without having it in the back of our mind and having that flinch, that, that muscle memory, if you will, that somebody is out to get us because I believe and confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and that He's risen from the dead and He's on the right hand on the majesty on high and that one day He's going to raise this body from the dead. Nobody's getting killed in Fort Smith, Arkansas for believing that this morning. Praise God! Nobody's flinching. Now there might be some other lunatic out there that has, that has no cause whatsoever, right? That can inflict harm on the Lord's people, and we've witnessed that happening over the course of the last several years. People that have lost their mind, lost their way. Complete and total evil and possession of evil and injuring and hurting God's people. We, that's happening out there. There's that type of molestation. That'll always be out there, I guess. But we don't have an organized effort trying to dismember our body. Praise be God in Fort Smith, Arkansas and other places in the United States of America that we have the freedom to worship in spirit and in truth. And that we don't have to drag anything with us when we come. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love that text. You know, sometimes the old flesh, this old resistance, this old nature, this old dragon that breathes in my face, and that dragon of resistance that breathes in your face, sometimes spewing flames, and I'm using metaphors here, but it might as well be, because sometimes it, it puts up such resistance that the Lord's people forget the enormous blessing that we have of assembling ourselves together in this capacity to worship God. And there are times whenever we have all the intents in the world to get up, to get ourselves ready, and to head out to meeting, and boom, something happens, argument occurs, a flat tire, something happens to disturb the spirit. Do you think that's just happening coincidentally? No. No, that is the roaring line going to and froze, seeking whom he may devour in an attempt to disturb your spirit. Why? To rob you of the blessings of spirit and truth worship. He's the adversary. Aren't you thankful the Bible teaches us more perfectly that, that we're not ignorant of his devices? For we're not ignorant of his devices. Do you know where we, where we learn about his devices? We learn from here and we learn from the preached word. You know, there's great salvation in that, isn't there? 
There's tremendous salvation in the preaching of the gospel. We are delivered from all manner of things based upon the understanding that the preaching of the gospel provides to us as God reveals it through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. I remember Brother Cal preaching about the spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If so be that we suffer with him, you're going to suffer. And the vast, vast majority of the suffering that occurs in the life of a child of God is self-inflicted suffering. Right before that he says, mortify the deeds of the flesh and ye shall live. Why do we, why do we have the self-inflicted suffering? Now no doubt as believers in Christ we're going to suffer for that. He speaks about, about that very plainly in Peter's writings. That it's far better to suffer for doing well than for doing evil. Wouldn't you rather suffer for doing good than for doing evil? Think about it. Did you, and if you go over there and study that, you're going to learn something that you probably already know. Maybe you'll just be reminded of it. But regardless of whether it's good or evil, you're going to suffer. You might as well suffer for doing good. Your heart's going to be blessed for it. And so are the lives of the people around you. When we suffer for evil doing, nobody benefits from it. We suffer and everybody around us suffers. Let us suffer for doing good. Lord, help us. We don't have to drag rocks with us to church. We don't have any crucifixes hanging up on the walls. We don't have any images that are set before us that we bow down to. No, brethren, we worship in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Now, I'll give you some thoughts on that. The Father seeking such to worship Him. You know what He says in another, uh, in another place in the Gospel? He says that when we draw near unto Him, that He draws near unto us. And the Father seeketh such to worship Him. What does that say? When we draw near unto Him, He is drawing near unto us, and there is this meeting. But this meeting that takes place is a meeting that rises high above the transitory cares and troubles of this life. The church has always been described as this on a high mountain, in a high place. Let us go up into the house of the Lord. My brethren, when we go to worship, 
We're not going down to the house of the Lord. We're going up to the house of the Lord. Look at the way that the apostles, through inspiration, the foundation of the church, he spoke about it being built upon the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Oh, there's so much in that. Brother John can tell us all about it. You know, when we were building that house down there at the Dutch Creek, I think we got a corner out of whack. Maybe it wasn't you, Brother John. He had a bunch of amateurs over there uh, nailing with those big, powerful nail guns. Before we knew it, and you've heard me say this before, we tilted up that wall and those studs were all going this direction. That wasn't Brother John's fault. That was because you had a bunch of amateurs with nail guns didn't know what they were doing. When the Lord Jesus Christ built His house, Upon the foundation of the apostles, he being the chief cornerstone, it is perfectly plumb, perfectly square, and there is no need for any modifications, my brethren. There's never been a need for a modification in the house of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Amen and amen. Perfectly plumb. He holds the plumb line. That plumb line is, is that lead weight connected to a screen or to a to, to a string when held still is perfectly plumb. Amen. He's the plumb line. He is what it is all measured by. It's not measured by you. It's not measured by me. God forbid. That's a death sentence. When we begin to measure ourselves among ourselves, the Apostle Paul says, it is not wise. It is a death sentence to relationships and fellowships when we begin to measure ourselves among ourselves. We should always measure ourselves according to the plumb line. And this is the only way, my brethren, that we're able to enter into the worship service and worship in spirit and in truth. If we're comparing ourselves among ourselves, then we're worshiping, guess who? Ourselves. We meet together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He set it up in such, with perfection, absolute perfection. And the Lord delivered me to this place. He delivered me through His providence. He did. I object to the thought that's, that some studied themselves to this position. I object to that thought. I'm sorry. Maybe studying did reveal some things, but the ultimate revelation that occurred come from above. If we're not willing to admit that God is the revealer of all truth and the giver of all truth and the revelator, then we have fallen extremely short and guess who we are worshiping? We're worshiping ourselves. 
God is the revealer. We worship in spirit and in truth. We give Him the praise. We give Him the honor. Now, I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying. I am not discouraging the study of God's Word in the least. In fact, I would encourage that we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, especially in the age that we're living in. Unprecedented age. We need to be familiar with the words of God. We need to let it feed, uh, feed our souls. We need to let it be that which occupies our mind and fortifies us against the wiles and the fiery darts of Satan. It's a fortification. Some people really enjoy the big orchestras. Some people enjoy the percussion or the lead guitar or the bass player that is out in front of the whole band. Or maybe it's the singer and the performance that once again can stimulate a spirit, small s, Maybe if there's truth involved, there is a capital S spirit that is being engaged as well. Who am I? Right? But aren't you thankful, my brethren, that if the whole world was turned upside down tomorrow, and this house and your house and everything that we are familiar with in terms of the building and structures that we come and comfortably worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if all of that was erased, are we going to be encumbered from worshiping Him in spirit and in truth? Absolutely not. You can see the wisdom of God and why He set it up this way. Because God's people, when they were persecuted in that first century, when they were scattered, when they were, when they were sawed asunder, when they were worshiping in caves and rocks and hillsides, they were not dragging harps up the side of the mountain. That songbook and these scriptures are able to be written in a place that they cannot be erased. They cannot be taken. They cannot be stolen from you. We're, we may only be able to sing two or three verses of how firm a foundation, but we can sing it, can't we, without the songbooks? You see the infinite wisdom of God in the way He set up the church? That's why He set it up this way, and there's a whole lot more that goes into that. But I want to close with this Scripture down here. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. Oh, what it's like whenever we meet together with Him in spirit and truth. Just like the brethren on the road to Emmaus with the Lord Jesus Christ after His resurrection from the dead. He's walking on the road to Emmaus. They don't even know who this man is. He begins to preach to them from the scripture, I believe, he started with Moses, is it Brother Joe, or maybe Abraham, one of the two. You'll have to, I, I, my, I'm rusty on that. And what did they say when he revealed himself in the upper room there where they were collected together? Did not our hearts 
burn within us. That's what happens when we draw near unto Him in the worship service of our, of our Savior. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. He says in verse 25, The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak to you, or I that speak unto thee, am he. Amen. I that speak unto thee, am he. Did you know that if you ever receive a blessing from the Lord, in your effort to worship him, it's the same as the Lord speaking to you. Same as. We know that he sits on the right hand of the majesty on high, that he's there making intercession for us. We know that. We rest in the fact that he's sitting, right? And we rejoice in the fact that he's standing when we draw our last breath. I believe that as our great high priest, we draw our last breath and just as Stephen after his ordination to the office of deacon, preaching one of the most historical sermons recorded in the Bible, in the Acts of the Apostles, the men picking up stones to stone him to death. And he sees the Lord Jesus standing there. I believe he'll be standing when we are received into heaven's pure world, just like Stephen saw him. But when we see him in the teaching and the worship, the great rest that we enjoy comes from the fact that he's sitting. He finished the work that the Father gave him to do. There's great comfort in that and there's great rest that can only be had with that understanding. It's an impossibility to have rest in the worship of God without the understanding that He is sitting because He finished the work that the Father gave Him to do. And because He's sitting, we're going to see Him standing when He receives us into glory. What a day that'll be. What a glorious day that'll be. And upon this, his, upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man saith, What seeketh thou? Why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Do you see the impact that this had on this sister from Samaria? Samaria? What's the lesson there? The lesson is God has a people out of every kindred, out of every nation, out of every tongue, and out of every people. Amen. 
and out of and all families upon the earth are blessed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And here we have this woman who is a foreigner to the commonwealth of Judea, where the temple of God was down in the south country. This woman who was part of, of the lost tribes of Israel who had veered off course when it came to teaching. Right? Separated, isolated. She didn't have the knowledge. She didn't have the working knowledge of the law as it was delivered to Moses in its purity and perfection. No. But you can see the evidence that this, this lady of Samaritan certainly was a child of grace, a child of Jehovah, blood bought, and had a well of water springing up in her into everlasting life. So much so that more than likely one of the most valuable things that she had was that to collect and gather the water and carry back to her home, her household, her family, her people. Without a water pot and the well being a distance away, I'll tell you, my brethren, it, it becomes a, a struggle in order to subsist. This sister leaves her water pot because of the news and the experience that she had in her encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we willing to leave behind? You know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can leave behind between this year and this year. And I think that's a pretty good start. You know, I'm not going to suggest that I give up my rock collection, my minerals, right? But I, I'll tell you this, there are some things I hold on to between these ears that I need to leave at the well. I need to leave that water pot behind. And what was it that she did? Look what she says. Come and see. Come and see a man. Are we able to say that? Whenever the Lord blesses us, whenever we encounter Him, whenever we have the Spirit of God and it causes our hearts to burn and melt within us, does, does it not reside within us to say, Come and see. You know, that's sufficient right there. And maybe old Baptists need a little practice at that. I'll have to admit. We've all tried to get our friends and our loved ones to come to meeting because we have had the same experience that the Samaritan woman had and we try to put it in words, and if we're new to the faith, man, we're saying, He predestinated us before the foundation of the world, and I can't mess it up. And they're like, what? Predestination? No. The woman left her water pot, and she just simply said, come and see a man. The Lord Jesus Christ, come and see. Old Baptists need to get better. 
I think, at inviting brethren to come and see the man. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the testimony of God. No, he says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of God, nor of me his prisoner, but be there a partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. You see, brethren, I, I'm supposed to stop, but there are, there's one thought that connects to this that would be irresponsible if I, if I didn't bring it forward. They, they talked about food, and then it led the Lord Jesus to the thought of the harvest. Okay? 35, it says, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. They were four months from the harvest. Yeah. Okay. From the literal harvest of the fields. I say unto you, lift up your eyes. I say unto you, okay? I'm repeating the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that, but I am saying it now to you and to me. Lift up your eyes, brethren. We need to stop looking at the ground. We're going to go to the ground soon enough. Whenever Sister Willow was in her last days, she couldn't stop looking at the ground. And Lisa, bless her heart, would say, stop looking at the ground. You need to look at where you're going. Brother, we need to look at where we're going. We need to get our heads up. We need to get our drooping heads up and look up above the cares and troubles of this life. Lift up your eyes and look to the fields for they're white, all ready to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. That's us. And he says, and herein is that saying true. One soweth, another reapeth. Jacob's well. You didn't dig that well. We didn't dig it either. That spirit that springs up inside of us, we didn't put it there. Nobody did. Christ put it there. And then what did he say? I sent you to reap that whereupon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. Isn't that your experience in the church? Amen. We have entered in to other men's labors. I wasn't around when they constituted this church. I wasn't around whenever Brother Ray Piles got the impression to form a church in Fort Smith or to constitute one. I wasn't around. I wasn't around and didn't, didn't uh, offer a cent to uh, construct this building. I didn't have the vision. I didn't have any part of this. But I'll tell you what. I am the beneficiary of other men's labors so far as this building is concerned. But I am especially a beneficiary of the man's labors, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it weren't for his labors, none of this, none of this would be taking place this morning. I appreciate your very kind attention. Thank you for bearing with me.